This is the Five Point Play Podcast, the Die Hard Duke Basketball Band Podcast. Three game home stretch is in the books, three and oh. Notre Dame, BC, and Wake Forest. All W's for Duke. In the meantime, Carolina's lost a couple games. And now all of us are right back where we started and we control our own destiny. We'll get into all of that. You see a new face in here. Not only a new face, Connor. You've been on the podcast before. Uh, Connor O'Neill from Devils Illustrated. And a little bit of a pickle on uh, the other night on Monday night. Because you're also the uh, the Wake Beat reporter too. So that must have been a little bit tough for you. Yeah, I, um, I, as I told, I, I was on ACC Network the day after the game, and Mark Packer was giving me a little bit of a, a hard time about it. And, like, as much as I like the fact that they when they play each other, I don't have to worry about missing one of them and being at the other one. It feels like you're you're picking – I'm not a father, but it feels like what I imagine you're picking, like, if you're going to go to your son's basketball game or your daughter's basketball game. Um, I hate those games. Like I, I it, it always is just a matter of time before one fan gets pissed off at me pointing out something that went against his team. Uh, so yeah, it's those, those nights are fun for, from a certain point of view, but also it's just like, okay, um, that we're done with that. Let's, let's move forward and let's move on. Yeah. We, uh, we used to have uh Quinn Jackson come on and he, uh, he used to do the Carolina and the Duke message boards. Uh, yeah. So talk about like really having a problem. Um, and I remember <laughs> him telling us that, you know, Carolina people would go after him when he would talk about Duke and then vice versa. So um I feel you there. Uh, obviously, we got a kind of a skeleton crew here. So Jack, uh, no AC, no Pablo, uh, no Dustin Knight. So uh, we can hold the a little bit. But let's jump right into it, uh, Connor. Um, we'll, we'll kind of talk about all three of these games, but let's – Let's kind of start with uh, the most recent, which is the, which is the weight game. I thought, um, you know, I was there as well, and I thought the first half was a little bit sloppy, and you know, one of those games that you kind of one of those halves for this team where it's a little bit disjointed. You have potential lapse of uh, effort, and I know it's kind of infamous now that uh, Jay Williams went on at halftime and, and kind of ripped this team a new one. You were there, Connor. I, I kind of felt that way that they needed a kick in the butt, and then I I saw a, kind of a different team in the second half, and I thought that they did a really really good job of of fighting and finding ways to win every time Wake Forest made a little bit of a run. I thought you done it very well, and then obviously John Shire got the crowd involved, uh, t- tossing the, the the ball three quarters court and and getting the the, the crazies involved. I mean. That was the loudest I've heard Cameron in a couple of years, to be honest. Yeah. Um, I, maybe maybe it's because I am a little too easy on him sometimes. I, I kind of didn't really see a lack of effort in the first half. I thought it was just they got the shots that they wanted and they missed the shots. And when you miss shots on one end, it's, it's hard to carry that back to def- the defensive end. So I thought they at least deserved some praise for – playing good enough defense to not be down, you know, six, 10 points at halftime. Um, you know, the, and, and the other part of it is you're playing a, a Monday game after you just played on Saturday. Um, yeah. That, that I know ESPN is going to do that because they're all about maximizing the, the viewers and the value and Duke and Carolina can always bank on having two or three Saturday, Monday swings 
once it gets to about mid-January to the end of the season. But I hate those Monday games. I, I think they're just such a drag. Like you just you kind of feel the players dragging themselves back out there, and you know. John Shire and Hubert Davis and every other coach that plays on Monday nights, like Bill Self, it feels like Kansas is on that every other week. Um, they all sell it as it's good preparation for March. If you're going to make it in the NCAA tournament, you've obviously got to win two games in three days. If you're going to win conference tournaments, it's obviously a lot more condensed. But there's just a it's a different feeling when it's the NCAA tournament compared to you're playing Boston College on a Saturday and Wake Forest on a Monday. Yeah, you know, there's just <laughs> Yeah, there's there's obvi- an obvious difference there. You're going to get a little bit more fired up to to play an NCAA tournament game, but yeah, um, the second half was a lot better uh, from offensive execution to the energy level. Um, certainly in Cameron, I my my kind of uh, sheepish confession, if you will, was I missed John showing throwing the ball back down the court. Like between everything with trying to get tweets out, trying to take play-by-play notes, I had my head down and I heard the crowd react. So I knew something happened, but I just thought it was one of, you know, we, we've seen him a couple times pump up the crowd. And like when, when he does the same thing as K, when he feels like it's a fever pitch, fever point in the game uh, and, and he wants more noise, then he'll ask for it. And then it wasn't until after the game that I realized, oh shit, he like chucked the ball down the court and was was all kinds of fired up. And then yeah. in the post game, he made a joke about wanting to shoot the ball at first, and you knew he couldn't do that. And I kind of wanted to be like, well, what what rule is there that says a coach cannot shoot a dead ball three? But knowing him, he'd make it too. Yeah, and you know, no, I if, if you really want to get into it, I mean, Teddy Valentine's always got that technical foul trigger locked and loaded um, don't get me started on ted valentine <laughs> i met him i met him in 2019 uh, I, I will say this ted is a good ref when you remove everything else it's just the everything else is yes. always there yes he is a fantastic referee who loves the spotlight yes and and that is that's such an oxymoronic term like you should not be a good ref who also craves the attention and the spotlight and turning your back on players and doing all the gesture. And, yeah. I, I generally say, sorry, sorry, TK. I, I generally say the best referees are the ones you don't know the name of. I I agree to a point. I, I'll, I don't know. I, like I think of, I know, I know Duke fans hate Roger Ayers for the Wendell Carter call, but I think Super Roger Ayers set. is a really good ref. Um, set. I think Ron Groover is a really good ref. Uh, I think Burt Smith is a really good ref. Like, I don't know, maybe it's different. Um, don't, don't tell, don't tell the Carolina fans that last one. Oh, they hate Burt. Wasn't he the ref in the game against Baylor in 2022, where Manic yeah, got tossed? I'm not sure. I'm pretty sure was it, it was him. Was it Jamie Lucky? I think it was Lucky and Smith. Yeah, one of the two. I know that they hate them. Um, either way, either way, though, it's actually a good point because in that game, I thought objectively, and I'm not objective, right? But, you know, Connor, you're more objective, right? I thought the refereeing was terrible on both ends. 
It was like awful. For both teams, it was terrible. The, uh, the yeah, that sucked. The two the two instances that I go to where Tyrese Proctor falls down and hits his head in the first half, and I think we're still waiting on a ref to blow the whistle and give an injury timeout for that. Like, right. I, I I was there on press row with my hands out. Like, are, are we? Are we going to let, you know, Kyle Filipowski was down there with him and I think Jeremy Roach was or somebody else was. And uh, Mike Starkey, the trainer for Wake Forest, actually, was out on the court with him to try to make sure he was okay. And there's they still never blew the whistle. It was just like, okay, well, Duke, are you going to sub this guy out of the game? You got to put somebody at the table. And then the other one was in the second half, Wake committed its eighth team foul, not even seventh. We're talking eighth. I think their seventh was a player control foul or a shooting foul. So they're they're right in front of us because it's on Duke's offensive end of the court. And I can't remember which ref it was. I think it was Ted uh, or it was um, – uh, who was the other guy? I'm blanking on names. Clarence Armstrong. Um, yeah. Was in front yeah of was... us. He was in front of us, and he was about to have Duke inbound the ball from the sideline. And I was right. Like, oh, right, 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 right. Yeah. I'm, I'm sitting. I'm I'm sitting and on the press whole, row. The whole court is like. I'm sitting on press row, less than ten feet away from him, like pointing at the free throw line. Like, hey, you have to go shoot free throws now. Like Mark Mitchell's in front of me doing this, and yeah, I, just yeah. I, the, aware, the awareness on the court was very, very much lacking from all three of them. <laughs> I love that we're doing all this complaining and haven't even brought up the fact that Lee Castle was one of the rest too. Well, the the hilarious oh thing gosh, to me is uh, Lee uh, Flip finally had a good game when Lee Cassell was on the whistle. Yeah, he had, he had three games in a row. Uh, one of them was the Virginia game at Virginia last year, where Lee Cassell did the game and Filipowski had I think it was zero five and seven points, or zero five and nine points. Per game, like, was he was he one of the Virginia Tech refs too when he got punched in the throat? Yes. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yes. Well, you brought you brought up Filipowski. I I will say that um, you know, let's move a little bit away from the referees. Uh, The thing that I found kind of funny, um, with kind of breaking down all three of these games, is that from the fan base, and I don't know, Connor, if you if, if you kind of got this, and obviously, Jack, you're, you're all over social media, so let me know what both of you think on this one. You would have thought that we went like 1-2 and two or 0-3 oh based on a lot of the reactions after the Notre Dame game and then after the Wake game. I, I just, you know, it, it kind of surprised me a little bit with how much hate some of our guys were getting um, and, and kind of where our fan base went. We needed, we, we needed to get a big... In the in the portal, or we need to get a big in the off season, and that's going to be our downfall. And she's all these uh, extremes, where you know you're coming off a Carolina devastating loss, you know, where you, you didn't have the energy that the Carolina had. You know, you were like they have control of the conference, and now it's like after three games and three wins, and they have two losses, we now control. Our destiny. You would have thought that there'd be renewed optimism with our fan base. Can, can you kind of talk to that a little bit and, and where our fan base should be more, I guess, how can they be more level-headed? Good, Jack. A great question. This is a great, thank you, Connor. This is a fantastic question. Um, 
Connor, I don't know if you watched this uh, episode not too long ago. Pablo was, he was like, he made us stop everything. He was like, look, I love you guys, Duke Nation, but some of you guys are idiots. Every time that something happens, it's like a, a low IQ play or like someone has a bad game, regardless of the cause. It's, oh, this player sucks. I'm so excited they're not going to be at Duke next year. Oh, Shire needs to get a replacement for them ASAP. You're really trying to be teammates with Cooper Flag, aren't you? To the guys who are projected to leave. Like, I mean, people people have a lot of those, like, immediate knee-jerk reactions in-game. Like, I waited to post my take after the Carolina game on Twitter until the next day, just so I could have some time to like breathe and see things not through the lens of I'm incredibly pissed right now. Yeah. I mean, it's, that's how I feel. I, uh, as much as I like Twitter, uh, the knee jerk reactionism of it during games and in the hour or two that follows games is just the most unhealthy behavior possible. That's right. I wish I wish there would be like a cleanse of all right, your team, whether you won or lost, because after wins, it's all the wins that aren't, you know, left a little meat on that bone. We should have, you know, people saying we should have blown out Notre Dame by 30. Uh, This team isn't going anywhere because they couldn't put away Notre Dame. That kind of stuff is also to detriment, but also like even the stuff where you you win a game and it's all about okay we're punching our ticket to phoenix uh <laughs> this seems a, a train that can't stop just i mean part of me thinks it's the footballification of of sports like every game has to be a referendum on your program and right. that's never been college basketball like you play 30 games for a reason and teams get a lot better over the course of four months um part of it i think is it's it's the accelerated news cycle. Like there's always something that's happening. Um, you know, if <laughs> uh, Duke lost to Carolina, and I think within two or three hours, somebody on the premium board over at Devils Illustrated wanted to know what Cam and Malawak's timeline was. Um, <laughs> and and that's where I I made a joke that. Uh, he he was already committed. He will be announcing on Sunday, and he will be enrolling on Monday so that Duke has a five-man who can guard Armando Baycott in the post when they see right. him again. Right. Um, That's good. That's good. Yeah, it's 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 all in good fun. And, like, to be clear, that none of that is actually happening. Like, I right. don't know a timeline on Kama. Now, he's actually taken visits to uh, Kansas and Kentucky since I made that post. Right. But yeah, I just sometimes um, sometimes I hate the the knee jerk reactions, whether they win or lose. Um, I make a point on, on the Wake Forest side of things. I make a point to not read game threads just because, like, I will say Duke is not the only team that has it. Um, Wake Forest fans, like, you know, do they want to fire Danny Manning again? <laughs> Uh, I, I don't think they would mind seeing him get fired at Louisville. Like there's still enough bitterness there that they want to see him canned again. Uh, which is a little weird to me. Like he can't hurt you anymore. Um, but Unless he with, takes with, the interim job. 
<laughs> yeah, they still have They still do play Louisville, I think. Um, actually, maybe not. I, I'm not sure. Um, anyway, like the the point guard for Wake, Kevin Miller, um, has been really kind of up and down this year. Like on the road, he has been a lot less steady than he is at home. Um, he he gets sped up on the road. He's he's a five ten point guard who is unable to do things against length and athleticism and where I'm trying to impress upon Wake fans is they've had the luxury of watching Alondis Williams two years ago win ACC Player of the Year being the point guard and he was in his fifth year of college. Ty Appleby last year was in his sixth year of being on a college roster and won one version of ACC Player of the Year. Miller played two seasons ago at Central Michigan as a freshman and averaged like 18 points on a five-win team. And then last year played four games and sat out the rest of the year with an injury. So this is really his sophomore season. Like it's it's okay to have patience, but every time he has a good game, he's you know this superstar. He should be all ACC. Every time he has a bad game, it's we have a point guard problem. He he doesn't play well with others. Um, it's just it's and I'm sure if I covered more teams, I'd I'd be able to give you more more detail now. Like I'm sure Carolina, you know, well, Carolina. Yeah, Carolina fans right now, if you if you go on and just read Twitter and, and message boards, it is Hubert's getting out coached again. He's he's uh shortened that bench again and all the things are wrong. We're not going anywhere. Just so crazy to me that you know, going from one week one game to the next, sometimes even with our fans, especially one half to the next. It's just crazy, you know, the waves of emotion that, you know their fans will get to where they try to convince themselves of one thing or the other. And it can go from the team as a whole, the coaching staff, the um, the shoes that they wear. You know, Duke, Duke fans are famous for one of the only team that ever has foot injuries. It must be the shoes that we wear. It must be yeah. – it's, it's just wild. Yeah, and the the other part of – like this is – this is more of a societal issue than it is college basketball. Like confirmation bias is a hell of a drug. Yeah, like somebody, yes. somebody says one thing and get convinces themselves of it and they will the look ACC for whatever stinks. evidence they can find. The ACC is terrible. That, that is the confirmation bias over the last five years. Like you can convince yourself, you can work the numbers however you want to do it to make it in your favor. And then I've started to see um, Jack, I'm sure you have too, like people kind of fighting back at that finally. You know, where it's like, who has the most wins? Who has the most Final Fours, the most Elite the most championships? All these different factoids. If you think we're the worst, why do we keep having the results with, like, the fourth or fifth most bids or something like that over the last five or six years, whatever it was? It's just, it's crazy because that confirmation bias, like you're talking about, to me, you're calling it the uh, football vacation or whatever. I think yeah. it's like the, the Final Fourification. Like, it, it is... Where if you don't make the final four, it's been an abject failure of a year. Like that yeah. is just, I feel like, especially among blue bloods, if, if you don't make the final four, you had a horrible year. It's over. It was a failure. Where there was you know, a time when years, that was the case. Sure, but like it's so, it's so kind of like I don't want to say watered down, but it kind of is, especially with NIL and transfer pool, where all these different players are going. All I don't even know who's on what team anymore. And it's really difficult to win six games in a row, number one. It's always been the case. But you're, you're just not getting those juggernauts year after year after year, but you still have the same five, six programs 
that are, you know, the cream of the crop, it's just, it's tough to win. And so like, you know, what I, what I hear a lot is that you see, oh, well, if, if we don't have a big man, that's going to be our deal. Well, odds are, and you're probably right. Odds are we're not going to get there. Regardless of whether it's the big man or if it's the point guard or it's the coaching or it's the not playing at Cameron, whatever he's going to be, odds are you are going to be right. And that'll be the confirmation bias that you're going to use the rest of the offseason, the next eight months to justify how you were right. Because the chances of you going to the final four are like 5%. Yeah. I mean, I feel like the big thing, like, you know, there was a time when Final Four bust was a very reasonable expectation for Duke. They made the Final Four all but one year between 1988 and 1994. 94, yeah. They made the only year in that stretch they didn't was 93. Now, that being said, Duke in 2022 ended Coach K's longest Final Four drought literally since he got to Duke. The parity in college basketball is at the highest it has ever been. And there are, like, I saw a tweet a few weeks ago. It was like, the AP top 25 on this day in, like, 2012, and there was no, there were no teams with more than three losses in the top 25. Yeah. I think I saw the same thing. And now it's, what, two? <clears throat> and Purdue and I think, I want to say Purdue and UConn are the only teams with less than three losses. Right. I know they're the five. I think they're the only teams over twenty wins, which is absurd to think about at this point in the year. If you go back even five years ago, yeah. that's absurd to think about. Yeah, the athletic just did a a nice story on it being wide open in college basketball, and it's just you know there's there's more talent in college basketball. Um, I think it. I, it even goes to, I think, how long NBA careers are now. You have players playing at a high level into their 30s. It's not just LeBron. Like, it's – you have guys in the league that are still in the league. So, if they're taking those jobs, then there's fewer jobs in the league for them. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's there's a trickle yeah. down from the longer careers pros have. There's less keeping- roster spots. To keeping talent in college, and then yes. you throw in you throw in all of the guys using COVID years that should already be moved on. It's it's gonna, sorry. <laughs> it's it's going to add to um, if you're gonna, if you're if you're talking to other guys in Carolina, you got to throw in Vontarius. What is it, Vontarius Woolbright at Western Carolina, averaging like 23, 12, and five. <laughs> Who was the dude at Detroit last year? Uh, the coach's son, Antoine. Yeah, Davis. the coach's son. Oh, yeah. Yes, yeah. Who almost beat Pistol Pete's scoring record, but needed almost. the fifth year and still didn't do it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And he, I think if I if I remember correctly, he actually had the opportunity to come back, but declined it because he thought it was going to be like watch for him to take the scoring record. I'm not even remembering that. I don't know, but. I, I mean, Ryan had, Young. Ryan Young's in a COVID year. Yeah, yeah. Ryan Young. Um, you know, yeah. It's there. There. It, it is wide open in college basketball, and, and honestly, I enjoy it. Like it's it's fun to go in and not know if Wisconsin is going to go to Rutgers and win a game because even though Rutgers is their record isn't good and Wisconsin's is, 
Rutgers has grown ass men in there. Like the the Cliff Cliff Omori that I saw I saw him play when they were at Wake this year. Like that's a grown ass man. Rutgers is down to Northwestern right now. Shout out Chris Collins. Oh yeah, um, I, yeah. I knew they were on my brain for some reason. Not was not playing Wisconsin though. Kind of like bringing it back a little bit to Duke. At, like after this three game home stretch where we did go three and up, that's kind of like where this whole conversation started. It's to me, you know, I feel a little bit better. Certainly after where you know after we played Carolina and certainly after we played Notre Dame because I thought that was a little bit sloppy, somewhat understandable. I didn't think the juice was in the building, and I think it's coming off a loss to your arch rival on the road and trying to get that swagger back. Mm-hmm. Thought they did well against Boston College for for the majority of that game, and then I'm, I came away really encouraged. I know it was you know 48, 42 in the second half against Wake, but I came away a, a really uh, encouraged because Flip I thought played really well. Mark Mitchell played fantastic. We basically had I know Mark Mitchell didn't finish with it, but we basically had three guys with double double. When was the last time? Is there ever been a time when if you had three guys with double doubles in the same game? You know, because Mark finished with twenty three and eight. I think I think Zion, RJ, and Trey did it once. Okay, so I mean that was five five years ago. Um, but yeah, thanks for making me feel old. That was my freshman year in college. (laughs) I feel real old. Um, Not to make you guys feel older, but (laughs) um, but yeah, Connor, like you know, you're the most objective of of three of us on this call. So you know. After those three games, you know, kind of where do you feel about Duke? Has anything changed uh, in the way that you feel about Duke? Um, up, down, otherwise, or any, is it the same? I kind of feel the same, honestly. Um, I I look at the like, guy. I know it's easy to wrap these three home games up together. I look at the Notre Dame and BC games differently than I look at the Wake game. Like those, yeah. those were such laissez-faire games against teams that Duke can just out talent. Like it, you can get away with playing not to your complete effort level that you need to have and still beat BC and Notre Dame. Um, they're just, that's where those programs are. Wage program is, is not there. I mean, wage program is not at the level that Dukes is, but I, I think Wake is one of the four most talented teams in the ACC and the standings reflect that right now. They're in fourth and, I think that's why I think that's why John came into his presser the other night and one of the main points that he wanted to make was how good he thinks Wake Forest is because that is a that is a quality win at home no matter what the metrics say about quad 1 or quad 2 no matter you know what you want to what what kind of overreactions you want to have to it only being an 8 point win uh, against a team that hasn't Wake hasn't won in Cameron since Tim Duncan was a senior if, if right. you really want to feel old TK <laughs> um, I don't know, Jack, you might not have even been born. I was not. I was not. Yeah. Okay. We we feel great now. Um, but that was that was the impressive game to me. Uh, but but the way I also look at it is these next three and going on the road is where we're really going to find out where this team's ceiling is in March. Um. These, these next three, Florida State, Miami, and Wake, in the rematch, Duke has lost their previous road game there in all three instances. Like Florida State, they went down there and lost it in overtime with Paolo. Uh, Miami, we know what happened last year when they beat Carolina, went down to Miami on a Monday night and got run out of the gym. Uh, 
Norchad O'Meara, I think, doubled his three-point total on the season in, in the first, yeah. like, five minutes, and it was just on. And then Wake went to Winston last year in a pre-Christmas game without Derek and Derek Lively and and lost and then got Wake back at home uh, later on in the season. So these three, like Florida State and Miami, they need to beat Duke to be in the conversation to have an at-large bid. Wake, if they beat Duke in the home game, is is probably on the right side of the bubble. But these are three teams that the way they play, like with Florida State's depth, athleticism, length, Miami's can score on everybody, even though they got shut down by Clemson in the second half last night. Uh, don't let one game affect your opinion of their offense. And then Wake, we just we just saw the ways that Wake can challenge Duke. Um, these are the three all on the road that I look at and say this is the barometer of what I, of where I want to judge this team. This is this is where I want to look at this team and think are are they are they lacking in the same areas that we've thought they lacked in at times this season with with effort against Carolina with rim protection against Arizona um, and and Carolina. Um, or or do they have enough to to go? I think even two and one. If if the one loss is still a competitive game and it comes down to the wire, anything can happen. I think if you go two and one or three and zero oh in these types of games, then you can start saying like, okay, this is a Duke team that can make it to the second weekend, can threaten to get to a Final Four. Like this is the team that could break through and be, you know, on the same kind of role at the end of the season as they were a year ago. Yeah, Jack, where, where do you kind of stand before we get to, uh, you know, a couple player profiles? I agree with what Connor said completely. I think, you know, we're going to have to see, but I, I mean, I don't really think my opinion of the team has changed much. Just, you know, they won some really, they won some tough games against like, you know, Wake, in my opinion, is a tournament team. I think they should firmly be on the right side of the bubble not to say that they are in the right people's eyes but in my eyes they are with I, i'm also just very pro acc in terms of my biases um but you know first two games of that home stretch were tougher than they should have been and wake is a good opponent that duke was able to hold off and beat by a respectable margin i mean it took a it took an incredibly strong second half to do it but you know what that's kind of what I expected from the team going into this home stretch. Just given how I'm just going to say this as a fan frustrating. It's been to watch them at times. Like they're a good team. We know that, but God, if it's not frustrating, I don't know what it is. They, they leave meat on the bone. They do. Like they they just, really they, do. They leave you unsatisfied sometimes because it's, it's, I think some of it is preseason expectations. Like when, when the three sophomores announce they're coming back and when they have the recruiting class that they have, you think this is a like going to stay in the top five all year type of team. And team that to me felt like 2015 a lot coming in. Yeah. And and they they for whatever reason, like injuries, uh I go to role definition a lot. Like I, yes. I think I think this team still is sometimes looking for who drives the bus. Like who do they go to in clutch moments when you need a bucket? Um, you know, I think John Shire has all but admitted it. And like, I think Kyle Filipowski would admit like sometimes 
Flip's body language is bad. And when your best player's body language is bad and when he's pouting up and down the court, it it wears on you. Like it's it's grating to watch. But you know, but you're you're always left with this butt with this team. Like if they turn the corner, like it is a team that is as talented as anybody in the country. I think yeah, I think that I think the pit and the Virginia Tech, sorry, TK. I think sorry the the Pitt and the Virginia Tech games the Pitt at Pitt and at Virginia Tech shows what this team's ceiling is and I think if the team plays like that that's Phoenix but they don't play like that on a regular basis we've seen it two times this season against a power conference opponent yeah, that, that pit win is, is going to end up looking a lot better uh, if, if Pitt continues to, to knock people off. I mean, obviously, they just knocked off uh, UVA. So, um, you know, I, I think a lot of the, the points that you guys are making are, are very fair. A, a lot of it probably came down to expectations. We certainly had them coming into this year. Maybe some of those were a little bit overvalued. Um, one of them, um, let's talk a little bit about different players here, is certainly I'm guilty, 100%. Player review, Tyrese Proctor, I thought that this kid, you know, coming off of last year, he was the best player against Tennessee. He had a great last month of the year. He was just going to pick up where he left off and then just excel because I felt like he had finally kind of figured it out. And I thought he was a potential ACC player of the year, first-team All-American type talent. I still think he has the talent, but, you know, the Jacks point earlier about the team and overall, it's just kind of like, it's just not always there. So, you know, Connor, like coming into this year, where did you kind of view Tyrese Proctor? And certainly we have seven games left in the regular season. We have the ACC tournament and obviously Duke's in the, turn, in the NCAA. Where does Tyrese Proctor finish this season? You know, is it just we have no idea which one is going to show up? Or is it some, some, somehow it's going to click Coaching staff is going to light a fire under him. Somebody's going to say something and be like, get your head out of your ass and, you know, pick it up. Or is it just, we just have no idea every, every single game. Yes. Yeah. I, I thought we already had the, you know, kicking the ass uh, turning point when he had not, not just the 24 point game against Louisville, but followed it with the 18 point game against, uh, got to pull it up here. Um, after Louisville was Clemson when he had 18 points and made the game-winning free throws with however right. many seconds left. So, yeah, I, I'd like to say that it's going to do this. Like, it's going to have a steady upward trajectory from now until whenever the season ends. I just – I don't know. I don't know if I believe that. Like, I just – seems like he's destined to be a little inconsistent. Um, he's got injuries baked in there. Like, he had the ankle injury. Um, he, he went down against wake with a head injury that makes his status a little up in the air, like with, without, without knowing anything for sure. He's a guy that I would want to have eyes on during warmups in Tallahassee. Cause I just, you never know with a concussion. Um, and I spent a lot of time on Monday night looking across the court at him on Duke's bench with a towel wrapped around his head and his head down and not just during timeouts. Like that was while the game's going up and down, like, so he's just he he's kind of been bitten by the bad luck injury bug. Um, I I just I think 
I think it's just going to be an inconsistent type of season for him. Yeah, go ahead, Jack. I mean, yeah, I I think consistency is a question mark. Um, I mean, I said a few weeks ago, like, I want it was probably a little over a month ago at this point, I said, I don't know how you can look at his season so far as anything other than a disappointment. I would not call it a disappointment anymore, but he is certainly not meeting the expectations of any Duke fans coming into the season. Like, the way he ended last season, you, you expected, like, I, I was saying this guy's going to look like a combination of the Jones brothers, and he's not. He's, I mean, obviously he's not, he's not a third Jones brother. He's his own thing, but I mean, yeah, it's certainly hasn't had luck factoring in his favor, but the consistency is leaving a lot to be desired for him. But when he's on, he is a first team all American level talent. It's just, when is that happening? That's the question. Uh, It's possible that it's next year. That's true. I mean, I mean, again, as staunch of a Proctor supporter as I am, and and I can bury my head in the sand and talk about uh, he's going to come out of the slump and he's going to pick it up and he's going to have that same finish to the end of the year as he did last year. Right now, Connor, he's kind of playing himself right back into junior year. Yeah, I don't see. I maybe. Maybe I'm a little cynical. I just I don't think somebody that's talked about as a, still a first rounder is going to come back. Um, yeah. I guess he kind of fit that mold last year, and maybe that is what leads you to assume it's not going to happen two years in a row for a guy. Like he's not going to put it off one year um, just to do it again the next year. Uh, yeah, I, I think the and I saw something the other day that I didn't read but it said that the draft class was actually deeper than it appeared to be like two months ago and i don't know if that'll affect him at all or not but i've been i've been operating under the assumption for like six months that it's a terrible draft class and anybody that's on the fence needs to go because of how bad of a class it, it lines up as being like you're gonna have second round guys getting picked in the first round and getting guaranteed contracts so even if you if you even if you do fall backward in a projection, you're still possibly getting a first round guarantee. So yeah, I I don't I don't know yet if I'd start thinking about him coming back for a junior season. No, there's still too much basketball to be played right now. Um, you know, I kind of just threw that out there, but I I would like to I would like to think because I I know that he has the talent, I know that he has the tools. I feel like. Probably to your point earlier that he might be one of those players that just isn't quite sure of exactly what his role on this team is. You know, it comes into this year of, okay, I'm I'm one of the three captains, I'm the starting point guard. Yes, he gets hurt. Yes, he goes out, you know, for four games or whatever it was. And uh, Foster comes in and does a really solid job and he comes off the bench for a couple games and, then has an, uh, you know, couple, a couple game stretch there where there's a really solid showing. Okay, Tyrese is here. We're cooking. Then he goes to Carolina, has a dud offensively. I thought he played well defensively against RJ Davis. Mm-hmm. And then he kind of follows it up with eh, a couple eh, performances against BC and Notre Dame. And then you know, against Wake, he was an 0 for 4, 0 for 5, 
no points. Obviously, you know, his head banged on the on the uh, in the lane defensively in the first half. And now we're just back up in the air, like, holy shit, like, what is going to happen to this kid? I don't know. I just feel like at some point something has to go right for him and consistently. So I'm going to stay hype on him. I'm going to stay optimistic on him. I just hope that I'm not wrong here. Who the hell knows? But the other guy that I wanted to talk to about Connor is Philip Housie. He's the guy that gets more hate than anybody from our fan base. Some of it's justified with the body language beating that horse to death. But then there's the other part where he's putting up really good numbers and he has to take all the beating defensively against the other team's bigs every single night. He's going to have to go to Florida State and deal with about eight of them. So, you know, I, I hope that our fans are, you know, going to give the guy a break a little bit, right? Yeah, man, he's he's a complicated dude. It, it's complicated to evaluate him as a player, and it's I, it's complicated, I think, for John to coach him. Um, he told us as much on Monday night when he you know, he took the first question about Flip, and he just kind of looked a little bit, and it was like, he's he's an interesting dude. Um, I said on a podcast earlier that, like, I hate. I hate what I'm about to do because I hate people to do it, but I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, I hate taking something that's said about somebody and applying it to somebody else. But when John talks about Jared McCain and being able to coach him really hard and that he can take criticism and not lose any of his confidence. I, if you apply that to Filipowski, I don't think you're able to coach him in the same way. And so I think that's been part of it. I think, I think it's been a little more of a, a task and a chore to coach Kyle this year than it was last year. Um, I think some things came easier for him last year than, than this year have. And part of that is he's playing five. He's playing the five for the first time in his life, basically. Like he always had his brother to play the five when he was coming up. He had Derek to play the five last year. Like he is not a five. He is a finesse big that they're asking to bang down low. Yeah. And the ACC is kind of a center's league. Like you have Baycott, you have PJ Hall, you have Efton Reed, um, Quentin Post, Norchad O'Meara. There, there are a lot of really good centers in this league, and he's one of them. He's just kind of the oddball center in that mix. Like he's not the one that grew up playing the five. Like you know what I'm saying? So I think I think some of the criticism of him is not warranted. Like he is – he is definitely the most talented player on Duke's roster, and he is probably the most important player on Duke's roster. I don't know what it looks like in the middle without him. Um, you know, you're you're trying to squeeze minutes out of Sean Stewart. He's bouncing three ways in the right direction one one minute, and then he's bouncing three ways the wrong direction in the next minute. Uh, right. He's a freshman big, and Ryan Young has his limitations as as we've discussed. Uh, many times so I, I just I get it with Kyle um, I get where the frustration stems but I also think some of it is is justified some of it is not and you're you're trying to push him to the level like you saw it um, going into a TV timeout in the second half the other night um, John grabbed him on the way to the bench and TK you might have seen this John was in his face for a good 30 yeah. to 40 seconds. And it was not like in your face screaming his head off. It was very, it looked like it was 
pointed but positive encouragement. It was right. look when when Efton Reed is not in the game, they don't have somebody that can guard you. Like you can go around some of their guys, you can score over some of their other ones. You need to take advantage of that. You need to be the best player on the court. And and for the most part, like he was and Mark Mitchell was. And that's that's what they need. Not maybe not every game. Like some games, their guard shooting can probably carry them a bit. But most games they probably need that out of out of flip and out of mark. Yeah, Jack, go ahead. Because I, I mean, to me, that, that that's a great point. I, I, it, it's tough. If I, if I can't figure out what to say about Flip, and John can't figure it out, it, it's just one of those things where you just wish. I, I, I think I've said this uh, quite a few times. Where if we had, if we had players, if we had twelve players that all played as hard as Jared McCain does, then we would win every game by fifty points. And Filipowski, you know, is kind of one of those guys where half of it I get. He's having to play out of position and do all these things defensively that he's never had to do before. And then the other half is, you know, the jogging up the court, the pouting, the, you know, moping to the refs and things like that. But then he comes back and, you know, he has 21 points, 11 rebounds. <laughs> I just can't figure him out. So so enlighten me, enlighten the audience here on, on what, what Flip is. What our fans should be treating, how 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 our fans should be like treating Flip. Look, Flip guarded Armando Baycott uh, against Carolina, and was absolutely gassed, and put up twenty two. You're asking a guy who plays more similar to Danny Ferry than any modern Duke center, like Coach K or Duke center. And you're asking him to play like Elton Brand. That's not his game. He's being forced into it. You know, this is not something he's used to. Like Connor said, he's not a five. He's playing against all these really like physically just wear you down type of centers. And he's still putting up great numbers for the most part. He'll have one bad game every few, like, you know, nine points against Clemson, eight points against Notre Dame. Okay. And, Going back to Louisville game, 17 and 15, then the nine points against Clemson, which also came with four blocks, by the way. Um, 14 and eight against Virginia Tech, 22 and five against Carolina while defending Baycott. Eight and nine, three assists against Notre Dame, then 16 points against BC, and 21 and 10 against Wake. Pretty damn good stretch. Like, people trash him because they're like, oh, he should be National Player of the Year. Oh no, he's playing like a first team All American who's going to be drafted in the top 10 instead of Zach Eady. Oh no, what a shame. He's 20 years old. Give him, cut him some slack. Come on. The other part of it, like, I think part of the frustration is seeing a, seeing a seven footer shoot threes. Like, I think, yeah. You know, Connor, I think about that a lot. You know, I'm cool with him shooting them. I don't want him shooting six and seven a game, but I also understand yeah. why he's shooting them. You know, for there's a multitude of reasons why he's shooting them. One is what his game is. Two, he's showing scouts that he can. Three, it's probably saving himself some energy from having to continue to pound down low uh, and you know keep himself you know fresh, not have to to run as far back down the court 
defensively. I think there are a multitude of reasons why he's taking them. I just don't need him taking six or seven. I'm fine with him taking three to four. Yeah, I I think where where the frustration on of the fans is valid is he takes six or seven and it feels like he's trying to prove to scouts that he has that shot because you know like we we know enough about what the NBA thinks of him to know that the NBA does not see him as a five. He's a four in their league. And if he's going to be a four in their league, he needs to shoot better than you know, certainly at, isn't he like two for 17 in the last five or six games? He is not shooting a high percentage from out there at all. He had the one week where he was eight for nine. And other than that week, I think he's under 30%. Um, it, it's, so that's the that's that's where as the disconnect between what the college game is and what the NBA game is grows, uh, you're always going to have players doing things that the NBA wants to see them do that aren't helping their college teams, and that's that's just where basketball is at this point. That's why that's why freaking Zach Eady had to make a three the other night. Right. That's why you've got John. That was That's so why funny. Is is tweeting about what his shot looks like in warmups rather than tweeting about how he's going to be the unanimous player of the year for the second year in a row, and like he's got to win it both years, averaging like twenty three and fourteen to be able to be in the first round conversation. That's that's Shaq thirty years ago. So I don't like that's. That's where I get a level with the fans because it's like I, I don't know if this team's recipe is having Kyle Filipowski shoot six threes a game, especially when if you're if you're saying that you're going to get X amount of threes from this Duke team per game, I want as many threes of as possible of that of that allotment coming from Jared McCain, Jeremy Roach, and Caleb Foster. I don't, I don't even know if you throw Tyrese Proctor in there right now because of his inconsistencies we just talked about. But McCain and Roach are both shooting over 40%. Like, give give them all of the three-point shots that they want. All right. Don't give them to the seven-footer that can get hot from out there but can also miss four in a row. Easily miss four in a row. Um, let's wrap this one up real quick. Uh, you talked about how certain guys will, will kind of play up to the scouts. One thing that I've loved with Mark Mitchell is that he's playing the game correctly. Now, you know, he, he had the, the infamous shooting slump, or that's just who he is shooting the ball. Um, I, I know he's, he's, he's in a few recently, guys hot as far, but he's, he's playing the game great. Like, he's, he's attacking when he's supposed to attack. He is making the right pass when he's supposed to make the right pass. He's getting out in transition, finishing plays. He's playing defensively the, the way we know he can at a, at a first team all in CC level. He's a guy that I feel like when him and Philip Housey are playing in sync, that makes us that makes our ceiling that much higher. He's he's the X factor on this team, and when he's playing really good ball, he can put up twenty and nine, and you wouldn't even realize it. I think I think that's kind of what happened, Connor against Wayne Forest. I looked up at one point, like, oh shit, he has seventeen. <laughs> you know, like it just didn't feel that way. Yeah, is is this where I tout my Mark Mitchell double digit tracker, which is at twenty? It made ESPN during the weight game. Did it really? Yeah, <laughs> they 
Duke does put it in their game notes. So I think they're paying more attention to the Duke game notes from uh, Kyle Serva and Henry Scott than they are to, to little old me. But yeah, 29 and three when he hits double figures. And, and like I've said and written, I mean, look, some of those are he had 12 points and they won by 25. And he was he was kind of like the fourth guy to get to double figures in a game. And yeah, like he's there. Other times you're like, like Monday night when, when he is attacking off the dribble, he is so dangerous and he brings, he opens everything up. When you have shooters, like the shooters that Duke has, he has open driving lanes and he's gotten really good at driving them. And yeah, I mean, to your point with, with if Duke had 12 guys that played like Jared McCain, I would say Mark Mitchell plays like Jared McCain, or at least yeah. as close to Jared McCain as Jared McCain does. Like those two guys, the the main difference is Jared is is a lot more adept at like poking the ball loose and coming up with it. Like he's he's got a little bit more of that hand eye coordination, and his hands are a little more sure than Mark. But yeah, Mark is they're they're the two guys that John talks about the most in his press conferences. That and and it just comes up back to they make winning plays. It just, it doesn't always show up in the box score. But they make winning plays and their value is, is much more, much beyond whatever they're averaging. And I think both of them are averaging pretty nice numbers and, and shooting decent percentages. I think, you know, Mark Mitchell's like six for 11 since breaking out of the slump. Yeah. I mean, not like a perfect game. We can we can talk about <laughs> from, from where he came from. That's as close as we're gonna get. So, but no. But the other thing is though, Connor, is he's taking them in rhythm and he's not hesitating either, and he's picking them from the right spots. So you, you don't really uh, gasp as much as you did prior in the season because you're no. like, oh, this guy can hit that shot. Yes, and and the the whole thing when he was over seventeen was. His shot was the same as it was last year when he was a 35% shooter. Nobody changed his shot. And I had a I cover baseball and and I there, there was a baseball player I covered at Wake Forest a few years back who he had an unconventional swing and Wake's hitting coach had told people around the program I hope his swing never breaks because if it breaks I don't know how to fix it. I think of Mark Mitchell's shot and his jumper in the same regard. Like nobody wants to mess with that shot because it still goes in. Like it, it, it's still, you know, it's, it's still a somewhat acceptable percentage um, outside of the, the month long stretch or whatever. Just, just leave it alone. It's going to go in. It's, it's, you don't have to watch it every time. Like you can close your eyes and you can just look up and see if the crowd reacts or not. Okay, go ahead, Jeff. I mean, as as a baseball coach, I, I feel that that <laughs> quote a lot. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, with Mark, he reminds me of Kawhi Leonard in college in so many ways, including the jump shot with the incredible lack of arc. Like it's working and it will continue to work. And I hope it never stops working, but you know, Chip Anglin's going to have an interesting case on his hands. If Mark ends up in OKC. (laughs) 
I'll say that. I Nothing but love for Chip Angland. Great coach, former Blue Devil. He's the reason Kawhi Leonard makes shots now. It would be an interesting case to see him work with Mark. Something I have thought about way too much lately. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's definitely a first uh, hearing that. Um, but yeah, no, I, look, Mark Mitchell, just keep doing what you're doing. I mean, he plays so hard, and he's he's making the right plays, which I think is really the difference made, the, the difference for him as a basketball player, and especially for this team. So if he continues to do that, some of the other guys match, you know, the energy levels of, of he and, and Jared. At least we're going to be in every single game. And, and you, I just don't want to walk away from a game um, in a do-or-die tournament saying we didn't give the effort that we could have. Like, that's the word. Like, we lose, we lose. Somebody shoots lights out, they shoot lights out. But it wasn't because we didn't give the effort. You know, that's, that's my thing. But we'll wrap the, uh, the podcast up here. Uh, we start the, the, the road streak here. Florida State at Florida State, 2 p.m. Saturday. Connor, talk to us a little bit about Florida State, what you know, and how this Duke match up with them. Yeah, they they had a terrible non-conference, and I go back to, I think it was the first ACC teleconference of the year, and they had beaten somebody uh, over the weekend that you kind of didn't expect to see them beat. And so we get on this teleconference on Monday, and I ask Leonard Hamilton what he liked about what his team showed him in that game that they won, and he talked about how they finally had the depth that he liked to play with. And it was like a alarm bell went off in my head and it was like, they're, they're going to be a problem. Um, they got Primo Spears eligible. He was one of the two time transfers that wasn't playing in the beginning of the year, but the December lawsuit made him eligible. So they got a guard who can handle, uh, and they got some guys healthy. Like Jalen Ganey was a center who they didn't have early. They, lo- they actually lost one of their best players, Cameron Fletcher, to a season-ending injury for the second year in a row. Um, but but this is this is not as talented a Florida State team as Leonard had from like 2018 to 21, but it's closer than the last two years have been. Like this is a long athletic team. He loves to get into the bench, and they've they've got some legitimate dudes like Jameer Watkins um, is really good. Darren. I think it's Darren Green Jr. He's a really good shooter. Um, this is Florida State's given some people that are trying to make the tournament in the ACC some bad losses or, or quote unquote bad losses. Like I, I don't think they're done giving those out. Jack, are you, after listening to that, are you predicting a Duke loss? No, I never predicted Duke loss. That's fair. Um. Yeah, no, Watkins is talented. Green, Green's shooting 38% from deep. Uh, Spears, he's an interesting one because he's coming off the bench, but he's putting up double figures. But I feel like Hamilton has a guy who does that every other year. Um, you know, it's Florida State. They're all ridiculously oversized for their position. Every <laughs> single one of their guys, like 6'8 point guard and a 7'11 center. It's just how Hamilton does his thing. Like a lot of respect for Leonard Hamilton, but it's, it's going to be an interesting matchup. I think Duke matches up well because they have really good perimeter play this year. So even, even if size wise, they're outmatched, um, you got some really good, really good outside players that are going to 
play well. I think this is a good game for Jared specifically. Um, it's going to put his rebounding, his his ten rebound uh, streak to the test a little bit. But I'm I'm really intrigued to see how he plays against these guys. But I think Duke wins. Yeah, I'm, I'm guessing that I'm going to be the only one with a uh, score prediction here. So I'll just get that out of the way now. I think that Duke finds – this is what I felt like coming off that, that three-game win streak. I know they were, they were all at home, but they were coming off of a tough loss against North Carolina where the sky was falling and now we control our own destiny. So you talk about the preseason expectations. Look, we're 19-5. We're 10-3 in the conference. We control what, what's going to happen the, the rest of this year. And if you feel like you are on championship team and the three sophomores, when they came back, they all talked about unfinished business. And I know it's a lot of coach speed, player speed type of stuff. But these guys, they, they felt like that was what they came here to do, what they came back to do. This is, there's, you said it earlier, Connor, like, this is the barometer. If you're going to do it, now is the time to do it. Seven games left. This is the hardest stretch, three game road tri- trip. Find a way to win. Find a way to win. I don't care how it happens. 78, 74. Give me Duke. Connor, I'll give you the last one. I know you're not going to make a score prediction. You're not that kind of guy. But I will say I was actually going to give a 78, 74 prediction myself. Oh, Connor, no. Thank you, Jack. See, now, now things are coming together here. Yeah, I can't give a score prediction or a winner prediction. I just I think this I think this comes down to how well Duke can stay in the game um, against the depth and the length. Uh, the thing about Florida State is, especially on the road um, for Duke, like Duke is going to have a foul situation or two that there is, is going to affect the rotation. Florida State is not like between being at home and being, having the depth that they have, they're going to have every weapon available to them. And, and that's something that, I'll be really interested to see how Duke handles. Well, we're going to find out. 2 p.m. Saturday. Connor, man, appreciate you coming back. I guess we'll probably see you again um, in about eight, day, or eight days from Saturday after we play Wake Forest again because you're going to be yep. put through the radar again. Um, but, no, appreciate you coming on, man. Um, Duke Nation, look, everything's out in front of us now. So now it's put up or shut up time. Seven games left in the regular season. All out there in front of you. Go out and take it. Let's go, Duke. Jack, close us out. All right. Yeah. Thank you guys for uh, for listening. As always, let me get that exit music up that AC always runs. <laughs> thank you guys. Um, you know where to find us. I, I want to give a quick shout out to the uh, the Autograph app. I just launched a partnership with them. The uh, you get the app. There's a link in the Twitter and Instagram bios. Duke.mbb and DukeBlueMbb. Um, you get all your Duke news there. They got Devils Illustrated. They got Connor's stuff. They got the Five Point Play podcast. You'll be able to listen to this episode there. They got a bunch of stuff. Duke Wisdom, Duke Blogger. They got Crazy Cast. They got the Chronicle articles. And you read articles, you can earn points to get rewards, including potentially tickets in the not too distant future. So keep an eye on that. Uh, check out the Autograph app. Shout out to them. Uh, you know where to find Connor. There's his uh, Twitter handle right there. You know where to find us. Don't forget to check out the Patreon. And uh, as always, let's go Duke. Let's go Duke.